This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and once again, I'm here with uh, my smarter half, Dr. Susan Kleiner. Um, and uh, Susan, why don't we start the podcast off? You know, this is our first podcast of 2021, um, and why don't you just tell people about your books and your site and, and how they would ultimately reach you? Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, looking forward to... Um a better one this year. So uh, you can find me at my website, drskleiner.com. I am on Instagram and Twitter at Power Eat and uh, Facebook, Dr. Susan Kleiner. Uh, you can find my books on my website and Amazon and your favorite bookstores. Uh, the one that's most well known is the new Power Eating the fifth edition of sort of my legacy series, Power Eating, uh, The Good Mood Diet, which uh, my athletes call Power Eating Light. This one's about your brain and uh, brain health, brain function, cognitive performance, mental health, uh, ability to rest, relax, and sleep. So how to take care of your mind and your body is all about uh, what uh, the goals are when I work with my clients. So happy new year. And I'm Paul Nobles. I'm the founder of Eat to Perform. Uh, you can obviously find us at www.eattoperform.com, uh, also on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I would just kind of piggyback on what uh, Susan just said. If you're looking for an approach of what a long-term life of eating looks like, New Power Eating is really for you. Right. Because what it really talks about is not just, you know, the the value of activity in your life, but also the value of, of food as an ally in your life. Right. And when we talk about what your normal calories would look like, I think it's going to surprise many of you as as you start to think in with this abundance mindset rather than. I need to restrict myself. And if I restrict myself, then, you know, I'll be happy because those are the kinds of thoughts that going into the new year, a lot, a lot of people have. And I would think that it's actually for most of you listening to this, it's the opposite of that. Right. And so uh, meaning that, you know, with food as an ally, with abundance in, in your brain, as you go, um, you'll actually get to a better place than if you're constantly thinking of restrictive, uh, restrictive under eating, uh, overworking out as sort of the answer. So today we're going to try something a little bit different. Uh, every month we have a staff meeting with our full staff. And uh, unfortunately, not everyone can make it, but we record this. This will be the first recording we've ever shared with the general public. And what we're doing is we're, uh, we've kind of got a series of, of questions that uh, Susan and I are gonna run through. And uh, I think it'll be helpful. Now, you know, there is a danger of it being a little too inside pool kind of thing where, um, and, 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 and unfortunately, if, uh, if you're listening to this right now, it didn't get that way, 
right? Um, but uh, but if you, well, you wouldn't really know because you wouldn't hear it, right? Because there's, there's a potential that it might not end up making a great podcast and some of these don't and some of these don't end up seeing the light of day. So the first question that uh, we wanted to go through a little bit, and, and I think this is going to be really helpful for coaches, and, and Susan's going to run through it real quick, is kind of the model that, that we use where you're, you're meeting a client where they're at. And then once you have determined with data where that client's at, then you can start adjusting levers at that point, right? But one of the things that we try not to do as a coaching program is to say, this is what we believe and you have to do this and we're inflexible in this regard, right? Um, we try to be flexible, but there's a core component of, of what we do where food in abundance is viewed as the solution, whereas much of the diet industry kind of works with the opposite paradigm. So you have to kind of keep that in mind as you're going into this. And if you're a coach listening to this and you're wondering, how could I be a better coach? What I would say is the one thing that we do probably better than anybody else at this point uh, is we always we always keep that lifeline of foods coming back, right? And that the majority of the time you you won't be dieting. And I know that's scary if you're a coach and you're selling restrictive dieting, but I can tell you that you will you will have be a, a much better long-term advocate for that client. If food is coming back and, and once food is back, that stays that way for long periods of time. So Susan, why don't you, you know, we, you actually walk through this a little bit and explain the model that you were talking about and then, you know, how coaches could use that to their benefit. Thanks, Paul. Um, so the first thing is, I think, to uh, know the definition of your own identity. Uh, what is a coach? And a coach is not a dictator. A coach is an educator and a motivator to help guide uh, the person that you're working with, client, athlete, whoever that may be, student, um, through the phases of change in a successful way. And in order to do that, the educator part becomes critically important, especially at the beginning, when a client may come to you in the very early stages of contemplating change. So we call this sort of behavior change model, the trans-theoretical model for change and behavior change. And, um, you know, many people are just not ready for change and they're not coming to you yet, but they may come to you when they're just contemplating change, but they're not quite ready for action. And that's where they're seeking information, um, your motivation, your support in helping them understand that they that, that they're no different than anybody else as far as, as where they are in their understanding of their abilities, uh, but that they can do it if they decide to. And so 
uh, you know, sort of help processing in that way is critically important, especially when the client comes to you with preconceived notions of what they think they want to do. And sometimes that happens very early on. And sometimes it happens right in the middle of real successful change from your point of view. But then they hear or read something about, and in this case, we're talking about diet, of course, about um, a specific kind of diet that is maybe um, not what is part of your core program. Um, we, we often um, bump up against the keto diet. I do uh, with my athletes, certainly, and um, any weight loss program, people are going to be um, wondering about what keto can do for them because of the constant marketing that's coming at them. And so if, if, the, if the person you're counseling is, is, has come along to the point that they want to take action or are, they are in the midst of action and your approach is to say, don't do that, it doesn't work, it doesn't matter what you're hearing, do this. If they're resistant to following your guidance, and that's, you know, that kind of wording isn't typically guidance, that's dictatorial, um, then you may lose them altogether. And so once they leave, you can't help them. Just like if I write the best diet in the world, it doesn't matter if nobody eats it. So, so bringing them along, um, helping them either through your guidance and education or letting them try it. Let them try it. That They're ready for that action. Give them guidance. Let them try it. Give them the guideposts along the way to watch for. The things that you pretty much expect will happen and how that will be different than had they followed the plan that you were trying to um, help them achieve is critically important to the learning process for change. Sometimes people change by experience. They have to learn it and experience it themselves. And we never want to um, dissuade people from the belief that they understand their own body and they should be listening to their own body. And so this is the moment where external information is butting heads with their own information about their own body. And, and they're interpreting that external information as sinking with their body, but it may actually not be, and they just have to try it. So a couple of things that you brought up that I, I think are really interesting in this discussion, right? Um, there, there's, there's two points, and, and I love the fact that you said that coaching is not a dictatorial thing, right? Where you're allowing people um, to be part of the process, but you also have to rely on your experience. You have to rely on what you've seen, right? And a lot of people, when they, you know, they, they like as an example, the, the thought process of less and more restrictive is, is super abundant, right? That's, that's the way that most people think. But if you sign up for, like, let's say that you work with Susan as a coach or you, um, sign up for Eat to Perform, there was a lot about that message that you read over and over and over again that um, showed you something that piqued your interest, right? 
And so from my standpoint, it's incumbent upon me to kind of enlighten you on how we get you there. Now, certainly there's some people that just look at, you know, the person that made a lot of progress and like they go, I want that. And maybe they don't understand every single thing about the process and how it works and bringing food back eventually and, and, and all these different things. And maybe they came to us under eating as an example, right? What I think is important is that you're coaching them and they're not coaching you, right? Because what Susan is saying is that, and you have to know this, like if you're an eating form coach or you're a coach listening to this podcast for the first time, if you think that you're the only authority that those people are listening to, you are wrong. And if it frustrates you that this is reality, I would suggest that you might start working on your coaching. You have to understand that you can be an authority, but you can also exist within the world and within social media so that, you know, you can have an appropriate response, right? Like Susan mentioned keto. I mean, keto is, is, is keto is basically low carb, right? And, and we all know that, that a lot of people do like to cuddle up to low carb. There's a lot of reasons why, right? Um, when you're under eating all the time and, and you're eating low carb and you don't have a lot of energy and maybe you're not sleeping all that great, you know, there's not a real expectation that you're going to put on yourself to be the best athlete in the gym or, or to constantly work towards building muscle or things of that nature, right? And so if you can go into it with the mindset of like, hey, look, we're not just trying to fix um, weight loss, right? We're trying to fix everything. And if you're trying to fix everything, you kind of have to do that piece by piece by piece. And so as a coach, you, you really do have to know a lot more than you might think, or at least have people like in our case where we have like 70 people on staff that have these different levels of expertise. So there's some people that might have some good ideas related to sleep. If you're a second shift person, things of this nature. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, you have to understand, well, I'm going to back up for just a second. A, a really big piece that, that I would say in Susan's practice is, is reality is not reality in the practice where somebody buys nutrition from somebody like Eat to Perform or a, a nutrition coach on giving macros on the internet, right? People actually do leap before they have consumed all the data and things of this nature. So it's very common for us to have to get those people to the place. They're actually more interested in the result. Um, and there's scientific basis for this, right? Sales, sales teams use this all the time where when the person buying clicks the button to buy, they actually get like an endorphin release that they actually solve the problem, right? It's sort of like, a, you know, high school graduation, 
you know, we, we, we celebrate high school graduation, which is, is really awesome. Um, but I don't think we emphasize near enough that that's just the start. Right. Um, and, and it's the same thing with, with marriage. It's the same thing with a lot of relationships that you're going to have in life. And so if you're looking at your nutrition coach as someone that you just come in and get a tune up from, I would argue that, that like virtually anybody can do that, right? Like if you ate bad over the holidays and you're up, you know, five pounds and you want to clean things up, I, I wouldn't say that you're necessarily a great client for us, right? Or even a great client for Susan. Most people that we're working with are people that are trying to solve the big enchilada, right? And and the sad part about solving the big enchilada, and, and you probably heard it from what Susan was saying, and, and you'll definitely hear it from me and most of our podcasts, is the answer is almost always it depends, right? And that can be frustrating because there's a lot of people on the internet saying, not saying it depends, right? They 100% sound like they know the answer. What I can tell you in life is that when you work with authority type figures that, you know, are trying to counsel you to a better place, you almost always want to work with the it depends people rather than the people that absolutely positively know the answer. And there's no question in, 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 within any level of doubt that they're going to figure it out. Right. And so Susan's waving at me and she wants to respond to that. So I love that you talked about sales because um, my brother is a, is a, a very top sales guy. He's been international VP of sales. And we have these conversations all the time about how um, the concept with sales and sales books, where there's, you know, at any point in time, there's the top selling book about how to sell. Right now, it's the challenge model. And, and if you think that one tool, one strategy will make you a successful salesperson over the long haul, you're going to fail. That it takes many different strategies and the knowledge to put them together in a system so that you can um, find success with any kind of customer and anything that you're selling. And so depending on what you're selling, you have different kinds of customers and different people at different points in their ability to, to, to say, yes, I'm going to buy. And you need to bring them along. And so that's critically important. And it's just like, um, I think, teaching people about diet over the long haul when there are going to be different outcome measures and different points along the way, understanding that there are so many diet strategies, or let's say weight loss strategies. If, if we're talking about weight loss, in my world, weight loss is an outcome. It's not a goal. In my world, it's physical performance, physical and mental performance that's measurable. And weight loss is is whatever happens along the way in order to get to the best performance. But either way, along a continuum, at some point, just like any to perform, you're trying to get people, if the long run is fat loss, 
It may mean learning how to eat better to begin with. Then you may do some, um, you know, getting getting them to their ultimate, how high they can, they can, how many calories they can eat, how high they can get to understand what their body really needs. And once you get there, then you put them in deficit and it is number one, much more sustainable. And it allows for a healthier, better metabolic weight loss to then continue on along the way. And so there's all these different strategies that are woven into a system, just like in sales. And if you think that one single diet is going to last you for your whole life, it's, you're, you're going to continuously be looking for the next thing because you're going to reach a plateau or something's going to happen. It's not going to work anymore. And you're continuously on the hunt for the next diet. But if you follow a successful system that works with you through all these periods of life and change and keeps you along the way, you, will, you won't have to keep looking anymore. You'll be done. So you brought up a, a few things there. Um, one question that we get asked a lot is when a person is in performance, right? Um, and I'm not, going, I'm not going to have the maintenance discussion because we've had that on various podcasts. But when you're on performance or recomp phase, right? We call that performance slash recomp. Basically, you achieve fat loss by replacing muscle with fat. And if it sounds like, oh, that sounds like a dream, man, sign me up for that. It doesn't really work like that, right? Like you're going to deal with some level of weight fluctuations. In fact, if you really want to build muscle, you almost certainly have to gain weight, right? And so there's this nirvana idea and don't get me wrong, from a physiological standpoint, it is certainly possible. And in fact, if you're new to training, I mean, you're going to get the best response you've ever gotten in your life. I remember when I first started working out, you know, what was it like 13 years ago, where, where it was just physical training. Um, I got so much better, you know, at the, at the time, once I started to train seriously, it was at a CrossFit gym. And I was absolutely certain I was going to make the CrossFit Games, you know, and it, it, it occurred to me I could win as a Masters, right, because you were improving so much so quickly. Um, and then and then you kind of hit like this plateau, which we all know you do this with uh, diets also for a reason. Right. That's how your body works. Um, and and I think as a coach, you have to coach people through that phase of, yeah, this is, this is the part where things get a little bit harder, right? Like, you know, if you're coaching someone and, and I mean, this is the best time by far to coach someone, right? Because most of the year people don't necessarily come to you over consuming. This is the time of year they tend to come to you over consuming, right? And so everyone makes a lot of progress, right? But if you're a coach and you're not explaining to someone in January that, hey, by the time February rolls around, this is going to get a little bit harder. I know we're seeing a lot of success. Let's keep moving in that direction. But you also have to understand that, you know, 
there's a process to all of this and you have to embrace all layers of that process not but not just the part where you're having great success right and if you build on that that slower model right you will have a convert for life right but if you're kind of not coaching them along the way like hey this is going to slow down a bit but let's stay focused because you'll still make progress it just won't be this massive water flush that you had in the first couple of days or whatever right then the other thing that uh i think is important as a coach um and 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 must say this so that that clients also hear it um I was watching something today that that spoke to me, right? And um, this is something that it's routine. We have a sales team of roughly about ten to twelve people because you you actually get to talk to a coach before you start the program. So there's no, you know, um, and and then we also have a free trial. So you you talk to a coach. Coach will walk you through what a plan looks like for you. And then you can also do a free trial if you want to. Most people don't. Most people take the meal plan, which we write for clients and things of that nature, because it kind of helps them get to a, a better kickstart. But what this person was talking to and, and why I love our intake, right? I would say every, every day or so, we probably get two to three people where we're not a good fit for them or they're not a good fit for us, right? Now, the person was talking about um, people that are cancerous to their tribe. I, I, that, to me, feels a little over the top of what I'm talking about. But if you have someone, let's say, that just came off of chemotherapy treatment and they need to lose 30 pounds, that's not really <laughs> our scope of practice, right? So, so if you say yes to that person, which we would not, right? Then what you're doing is bringing into your tribe someone that's going to scream to the top of their lungs, right? And try and get attention because they're not a good fit for what you do, right? So as a coach, you have to think about that, right? Like you can't just go, you know, there was an example of of you know this company that my dad started working for once he he retired because he was just trying to slow things down because he was he was in a big corporate environment and things of this nature and then very quickly uh he he, he left this company and one of his criticisms to the boss was he said you you should just not have an application he's like because you just hire everybody <laughs> everybody that comes right? You just hire them. And, and there's no filtering for your process. And so you always have like this chaotic situation going on. That also works for clients, right? If you don't filter the client for a good fit for what you do, what you're going to find is that you're going to struggle coaching them. And then if they're part of your community, they're going to monopolize your community because they weren't a good fit. Right. And it's so easy in the beginning to just say, and I understand, like, we're all businesses and we like to take, you know, um, 
businesses, but your business should be a successful um, bringing in people that aren't a good fit for what you do is, is really going to be something that um, it can be destructive for your business, right? And a lot of times people will come in and eat and perform and they love the idea of eventually being able to eat, right? But we, we maybe can't get them over that hump, right, of the fear that they have because they've been under eating for so long. And then they do end up not being a good fit, sadly. But we have a lot of great coaches. We've worked with a lot of people that do this. And, and luckily, you know, we have thousands of people. You can literally go to the photos in the community group and see all the people that have success. And I would encourage you to do so. But if, you, if, if seeing all of that, right, and talking to your coach and walking through that process, you know, you still can't get over that mentally, then it's not a good fit. And then that's okay. Right. Like, like sometimes, you know, like Susan talked about earlier, either I can't explain it to you well enough, or you're just not in the place where you can hear it. Right. And, and that's fine. You know? Um, And like I said, you know, with, with Susan, where she's writing plans for these athletes and things of this nature and really regular people too, you know, the commitment level is so much higher. You know, if, if you're like signing up for like a Weight Watchers or a Noom or, or somebody like Eat to Perform, the commitment's not that high, right? So you do get some people that aren't great fits for, for what you do just because they're not ready, right? And I would encourage you to build in a process as a coach so that you can communicate who you are, what your values are and what you think is important, right? And if you can do that, you're going to attract more people that are like the people that you want rather than trying to, you know, make a puzzle piece fit that just really is not a good puzzle piece for you, right? All right, so the um, next question, <laughs> that was one question. Um, so, so, uh, I, I said we, we've got three questions and they can literally be podcasts, every single one of them. Um, this one's probably going to be pretty easy depending on the level of depth that you want to go into it, Susan. But if you're a coach and a person is just insistent on the fact that, that um, they can only get body composition goals with cardio, how do you address that? What would, what would you counsel a coach to say in that situation? So and just like, it, it almost doesn't matter. I mean, this is one scenario, it could be any scenario. Um, I ask people to give me two weeks. Just give me two weeks of whatever I'm asking them to do. You know, in, in, in a need to perform situation, it could be, as we've talked about, give me two weeks of eating more food. Um, uh, in, in many times in my practice, it's give me two weeks of adding some carb around your training. Uh, in this case, give me two weeks of even no cardio and just strength and power. Um, that. I say, what can happen to you in two weeks? 
do you think you'll gain so much fat or do you think you'll lose so much potential that you won't be able to recover? And most people say, nah, you know, okay, okay. And, and while they're thinking in their head, well, I'm never giving her two weeks, I'll only give her one week. Um, they start to notice the way they feel uh, within one week. And it's really all about how you feel uh, in so many cases, they start to feel so much better, no matter which one of these scenarios I've just mentioned, that they give me the next week and they're, they're pretty much on board. And so again, experiential learning is highly valuable, but helping the client see that you're giving it, you're asking them for a finite trial. Um, that means that you're putting sort of your wisdom on the line um, as and, and allowing their body to talk to both them and you. And, and that is building trust. And so, uh, so that's typically um, the way I approach it. If the person says, I don't want, I'll never cut out cardio. Okay, well then let's do half the cardio. You've only got X amount of time, this many minutes to train on you know daily, weekly basis, let's take half of that then and turn it into strength and power. And the other um, important point is that many people don't understand what strength and power exercise is versus cardio exercise. They don't know that if you're sprinting, that's strength and power, that's not cardio. And, and there's so many variations on, on what um, we talk about as the, the whole expanse of strength and power training um, and, and mo the average person doesn't know that it's not just lifting weights. So one of the things that I heard in, in a conference I went to a long time ago that really spoke to what you just said is that the navigation doesn't start until the car moves, Right. And essentially what you're trying to do is get a client to make a leap of faith, right? Based on a very small sample size, right? And if as an example, you know, uh, like my default is strength. Now I don't ignore cardio obviously, but um, right now it's really snowy. The conditions are difficult to run and gyms are closed here. Well my wife and I are going to live in Charleston, South Carolina for the winter. And we are looking forward to a lot more running and we're not looking to run for a result, right? We're looking, uh, well, the result we're looking for is to get better at exercise. Right. And so, so when you are choosing modalities related to fitness, you have to think about how is this going to get better for me at, at exercise? And in the case of strength training, yeah, you might build some muscle and, and, and things of this nature. But I think in terms of, of bone elasticity, you know, tendons, there, there's just so much related to aging that's really important. And, and it's kind of interesting because as coaches, I don't think we focus on this near enough, right? That what we're really about is getting that client to live as long of a life as useful as they possibly can throughout that whole process, right? I don't know if 
you guys or gals listening to this are like this. But whenever I see like a 97 year old person and they're like out and about, like, I just love that person because that's who I want to be. Right. And that's who all your clients want to be. And so what I think happens as a coach is that we often pin ourselves down to this person wants to lose 20 pounds. Do they, I mean, do they really, you know, because maybe if they, they're under muscled or something of this nature, maybe 10 pounds would be fine if they could build 10 pounds of muscle in that process. Right. And so if you can kind of get them to that plank, and I love the, I love the idea of kind of like a, a plank, right? Just get them to walk off the plank. You don't have to walk off the plank forever, two weeks, and then that starts the process. I think the other thing too, you know, and, and you could try it Susan's way. For a lot of people who run, it, it's almost meditational for them. I think taking it away, you know, might cause some people anxiety, right? So, so let them run, right? Like, like you have to have flexibility in what you do, right? And then I think you'll find that you're a better coach if within that flexibility, you're able to get people a result, right? Now, what we do know for a fact, right, is that if you're trying to build muscle and get better at strength, the less cardio that you do is probably going to be better. There's, there's, there's kind of this, um, this hybrid model that that's helpful because, you know, there is value from a cardio standpoint to get in more reps, right? You're going to need heart capacity for that kind of thing. But in general, the less cardio that you do is better for, for, um, strength training, muscle training. And then, um, the opposite is also true. But is that a formula for your best life? Is that a formula for what that person really wants, right? Is that person trying to be the strongest person on the planet? Or is that person just trying to see muscle when they, they, they go on the beach, right? So these are things that you want to consider as a coach as we're kind of walking through things. Um, Susan, do you have anything to add to what I just said there? Yeah, no, nope, I think we're are, are good. You muted? Okay. No, yeah. So, so the other thing that comes up a lot, and I know this isn't your area of expertise, but we did a podcast on this in the past um, on on uh, menopause, right? Uh, you know, premenopause, perimenopause, and postmenopause, right? And what often happens to a person consuming, and oh, by the way. Um, this does, and I can speak to this a little bit anecdotally about andropause for men, um, that um, the clients that we're dealing with are in the age ranges where these are going to become issues, right? And when we did our last podcast, you talked about like adjustments that you had to make personally, where some of the things that were easy started to get a little bit harder, right? And you started to have to make some adjustments along the way. So can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think that for um, most of my life, I just seem to, you know, I, I take, I don't, not to take it the wrong way, but I just seem to be in pretty easy balance. And, and the reason was, was because of the choices that I made with my diet along the way. It didn't just happen 
on its own and I was eating you know, a lot of fast food and packaged food and highly processed food. It was just the fact that I never ate much of that kind of food and was very much kind of a farmer's market, home cooking person. And so, uh, and was always physically active and, and my body kind of did what it was supposed to do. And I knew where my parameters were. And when I wanted to up my calories for my training, I would do that. And my, my training would increase. Uh, as I hit really more menopause versus perimenopause, um, I definitely have noticed that there's, a, there's just a natural decrease in metabolism. Uh, and what I found in myself, as well as my clients, as well as a lot of things that you read, what happens around this time is that we often, in some of us unwittingly, slow down. We slow down on various levels. We're, we become more sedentary because we're not running around in our lives at the same level. We're not chasing after children. We're, not, we're just not necessarily as, as physically busy as we were. Um, many women um, are a little more fearful in their physical activity. They don't want to get hurt. And so they don't challenge themselves at the same level any longer. And, um, and, and perhaps maybe you just are in the point in life where you can relax a little more and you're just not as, as, as motivated to be physically active. So the the combination of things also works against us. And so um, having the, the conscious um, mindset to ramp it up at this time is really important, both for helping you stay as strong and as fit and at the sort of physical body, um, in the physical body that you desire, but also because this is the point where if you slow down, you are really going two steps back for every step forward. You can't hang on to anything. And so, so getting, you know, really embracing the challenge, the physical challenge at this time, trying new things, doing new forms of exercise and sport, um, ramping it up is, is very important to staying healthy in mind and body, continuing to sleep better, so many things. And I know that many women, no matter what they do, have sleep challenges. Um, but all of these things are at least working in the proper direction. So these are not exclusive to, to, to women. Men um, have a similar degradation, right? Um, right. In our last, uh, and actually for men, uh, it often starts around 30. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned in our last podcast that we did uh, was just being more conscious of, of lists, right? Um, can you explain to people what lists is and, and why it's so important? So, so it's that funny thing where you, 
you can't, you know, it's low intensity exercise, right? It's, it, it's, it's that it, it's the, it's the movement, you know, all the movement that you do all day long. Um, and so, so there's, you know, up and down, you know, my Apple watch tells me stand up, you know, you, you need to stand up. Don't ignore that. It's got that dismiss button <laughs> that I hit way too often. Cause I'm in the midst of thinking about something and sitting and writing, but I really do need to get up, stand up and walk around. Um, the, just the, the kinds of training that you can do um, that are, are not, it's not so noticeable. Um, and also uh, walking to walk for the enjoyment of it, not trying to accomplish anything except getting out and moving. Um, there's also, not to forget, another small piece, which is the thermic effect of food. And so, so when we can um, up our, uh, it's, it's a little trick that if you've exercised, make sure that you have your recovery meal. Not only it, does that give you an advantage and it maximizes the exercise that you, the effects of the exercise you just did, but it also gives you a little calorie burn bump um, because it is the 10% added energy cost of, of metabolizing the food that you just ate. So um, utilizing all these little things, do you um, shake a leg? Do you do, do you do any kind of repetitive movement? Those things can add from anywhere from 50 to 100 to even 300 calories a day in people who are really annoying to sit next to. Uh, but, but just all the little types of movements um, that you may have during the day that will, that keep you from being wholly sedentary. Yeah, I'm the annoying person because I can't sit still. Um, but one of the things that I do, because I'm on the phone a lot, um, you know, doing the business of Eat to Perform, is that I'll pace. Yeah, I've and... seen you do that. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Yeah. And, and uh, what's interesting about it is that people are like, yeah, what would that even add up to? Yesterday, it added up to 20,000 steps. Right. And I was just talking to like friends and family, you know, in fact, uh, in some of our meetings within Eat to Perform, um, I, I have a whoop, which uh, measures strain of exercise. And so when your heart rate goes up and you're also walking, my whoop's like, oh, we're really exercising here. And I'm just talking in a meeting, right? So, I mean, it's very, <laughs> it's very common for me to get up to like a 10 on strain if it's a long phone call, right? And so, so uh, don't discount the value of, of viewing things that you can add into the mix that you're a little bit more conscious of. Cause like Susan's saying, it might drive her crazy, but it's actually a big piece of my health profile. Right. And so kind of keep that in, in mind as you go. And also don't necessarily overdo it. One of the things that uh, was really interesting. And as a coach, I would highly encourage you um, to coach your clients in this direction of more data. Don't be scared of data right? Learn more about data that's going to help you be a better coach. Because if you're not going to do that, just get another job, 
right? Because you are about to lose your job. Because if you do not keep up on what are the things that people are interested in, right? You're kind of not counseling them in a way that um, is going to allow them to be better. And understanding that data is, is, is really good. Um, but what I was going to say is that what I found was is after a long day of pacing around and, and things of this nature, um, often my, my late afternoon workouts weren't very good. So I actually had to learn to stop pacing around because I was tiring my body out. Right. And so I would end up with a, a strain of like 16.3 or whatever, which is already really high. And then going to the gym and my workouts were horrible. So, you know, if I could keep that pacing to a minimum, knowing that I was going to work out later in the day, my workouts would be a little bit better. So that's just a little something to think about. This last one is going to be interesting because it's something that's important to me. Um, and I'm interested in hearing your point of view. What I can say that every single person on this call could tell you we see is that if you're if you have a lot of weight to lose. Now, when I say a lot of weight to lose, we're going to talk about 300 pounds for a, a male, 250 pounds for a female, right? We're not talking about, oh, I have a lot of weight to lose, 20 pounds, I'm 140 pounds, right? That is not a lot of weight to lose in our world, right? And yes, the rules are different, right? Um, is very common. We see this all the time. It's kind of interesting because that person tends to want the most extreme option as quickly as possible, right? Like it, you know, it took me a long time to get here. I wanted to go away as soon as possible. And I'm as guilty of that as, as anyone. That was certainly my MO until I figured out this is just not working. I need a long-term approach, and that ultimately is what became Eat to Perform. So it's very common for someone to come in who was not super conscious of, of, of health. Maybe they had some bad habits along the way. And, you know, as a man, they go from 300 to, let's say, 230. Or as a, a woman, they go from, say, 250 to 215, right? And in that process, calories have adjusted through what the way that we do it at Eat to Perform. But this actually applies even if you're one of the methods that actually don't, you know, have calories adjust up, which is physiologically incorrect, right? Yeah, you have to you have to allow for recovery of metabolism for all people, right? This is what we see consistently right, is that the 140-pound woman who plateaus after a certain amount of months or weeks, that same thing applies for a woman at 215 pounds, right? And, and there's no defying the way that we as human beings work, right? So this idea of just banging the drum harder and harder and harder is actually just harming that person more. But that's not the main piece that I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about 
and and I think we talked about this a little bit, Susan, on 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 the last podcast where we we talked about fatness over fitness or fitness over fatness. Um, with uh, what's it's Stephen Davis, right? Or do I have his name wrong? You're you muted. From the Cooper Clinic? Yeah. Dr. Stephen Blair. There you go, Stephen Blair, right? So Stephen's argument, which isn't really an argument, it's kind of fact, it's right? It's data, is, yeah. Yeah, it's data. His data shows that if you are a sedentary person at 215 pounds, right? Compared to a 215 pound female in this both or female, 215 pound sedentary don't do much compared to 215 pounds and does a lot. The 215 pound person that does a lot is substantially healthier. And this is this is sort of what we as coaches we need a we need a major movement in this regard, right? that the client needs to work to love themselves at every single level. And they need to understand that they can be healthy at 215. Now, does that mean that they stop, that they don't continue on eventually and things of this nature? No, but the same rules that apply where you're not supposed to be dieting all the time also apply to the 215 pound person that lost 35 pounds or the man who lost 65 pounds, right? You have to allow for their body to recover. And in that process of their body recovering, they will have more energy to do the workouts that you're asking them to do, right? And they'll adapt to it better. And one thing that we know without, a, without any shadow of a doubt, right, is that if you give more raw materials to a human being, the sheer weight of their body will allow them to build muscle in that process almost no matter what they do, right, because your biggest resistance tool in that instance would be the weight that you have on your body, right, and so, so having periods where that person is allowed to have their metabolism recover isn't just important. It's, it's it, without it, you lend it, you lend one bad habit for another, right? And so if you're trying to go from, let's say 300 pounds as a man to 180 pounds as a man, I'm not saying that some people haven't done it. But when you lose 120 pounds like that and you don't allow for exercise to be part of the component and, and allow for periods where metabolism is recovering, it'll often show up as, I don't want to say an eating disorder, but like eating disorder type behavior, right? And then the person feels trapped because they want to stay at that weight, right? When in reality, if they've lost let's say 120 pounds in a year, which, you know, some people do, um, their body is going to be more prone to rebound in that scenario because that's the way the body wants to be, right? And so we have to, as coaches, understand 
that we're going to have to explain that to the client that that religiously clinging to this 180 pounds because you did something wrong like we'll have this happen actually Susan this happens a lot right where we have a client who's lost a lot of weight and then they they joining to perform because it's going to be a solution for the rest of the situation. As coaches, we have to tell that person right then and there, look, you have to understand the idea isn't to just hold on to this weight, right? We can eventually get you to a point where your weight's stable, potentially at that weight. But you have to understand that if you've been dieting extremely for a long time, you have to reset. You have to you have to allow your metabolism to recover. Um, so so I know that that was a big enchilada I just handed or a burrito that I handed over to you. But but I really, I we just have so many clients that are two hundred and twenty pounds that are just healthy, right? They're healthy. They're active people and things of this nature. Doesn't mean they don't still have goals, right? But they're healthy people. And, and, and I want people to know that you can be healthy or you, you've, you've changed your health profile very positively just because you're pausing for two months to three months, let's say, doesn't mean that you don't have eyes on something later, right? And also, by the way, if you're like, 220 and your genetics are kind of built a certain way. And there's a lot of factors that come into play here. Right. And so it's this idea of I'm going to nuclear bomb everything to get to a place and then I'll go back to normal. It's the nuclear bomb. That's the problem. Right. And if we can, if we can talk to clients and explain to them, that their health profile can be affected positively with food while also looking towards goals as we go, I think we're better coaches as a result, right? So I know I handed you over a big one there, but but can you just give just your thought process in general? Well, I think that it's it's shifting the 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 goalposts, you know, to a completely different um, uh, field, right? So, so many people may only know the number on the scale as the single parameter that they've got to measure. And it's up to a coach to explain that number one, that number on the scale, uh, as I've said many times on these podcasts, is a reflection only of the relationship of your body to gravity. And it is not a measure of health. It's, it's, not, it's just not anything. I mean, it's a useful data point when we are trying to see if it's going up or down, but it is not telling us anything about what's going on inside. It's not telling us how we feel. And so, um, very important data points include these health factors, your blood pressure, your cholesterol, uh, and very importantly, 
um, your uh, measures of uh, systemic chronic uh, inflammation. Um, these, these factors are impacting long-term health than um, your ability to exercise, to recover after exercise, your heart rate, your variable heart rate, all of these uh, things that will make a difference over the long haul. And so the things that we know impact morbidity and mortality, illness and death are how sedentary are you? That's basically as bad as smoking uh, and, uh, and, and your diet, you know, five of the 10 leading causes of death um, are associated specifically with diet. And that doesn't include drinking and driving. Okay. So, so we're, those are individual factors. They are factors in and of themselves separate and apart from your body weight and whether you are classified as overweight or obese. So, so that's the educational part. That's the coaching that we, we, must look at these other factors and maybe that will give you a broader sense of, of, um, of impact and success long before you may, any, you may see any body weight changes. And maybe you'll reach a point where you're just okay with where you are physically in the way in your body composition or your weight. Um, but, but you have improved by leaps and bounds on the parameters that measure health, your health indicators, and, and very importantly, how you feel. At the end of the day, how do you feel? If you're feeling great, then maybe that has been a huge journey that has taken you a year to get to this point and you've changed your diet and your, your exercise, you were a person who never thought you'd ever exercise and then you went out and you got a dog. And so now you're out walking your dog every day, three times a day. Um, so you're, you're, you've, you've accomplished that, you realize now I can do something else and I can do something else. You're already a success and have done things that have uh, changed your personal image and your brain chemistry. And now you're more prepared and ready to make some dietary changes. And then you've made some of those dietary changes and maybe you're good there. It may be for a year. And then the person comes back and says, okay, I now I know that I am fully ready to take the next step. So, I mean, the journey is a long one. How long do you wanna live? When people say to me, like, I'm already 65 years old, should I even bother? My answer is, well, how long do you want to live? Or how long do you expect to live? How long do you plan to live? You know, the journey isn't over until you're in the ground. And so, so that's kind of where I see the, uh, the process. So there's, there's the doctor talk and then there's the nutrition coach part, right? And oftentimes, I think if you go into the doctor, because if, if let's say that you're a 215 pound female or 235 pound man and you're 5'9", right? And you go into your doctor and you, your doctor's like, you're 
obese. You have to do something about this weight. But maybe the doctor wasn't aware that you lost 65 pounds, right? Or in the case of the female that you lost 35 pounds. If you were to say to that doctor, look, I lost a lot of weight in that, in, in, in this last year. And in that time, I've started to um, become more active. I think you'll probably see that in my blood work, that there's been some real positive changes. Right now, I'm being coached to take a break, right? And when, when Susan says a year, it, a year is reasonable. A year is 100% reasonable to allow for your metabolism to recover, to explore the physical capabilities that you didn't have at 300, right? And not really allowing that weight to dictate who you are, your happiness, things of this nature, right? Because we do see a lot of that where, where, um, things that are outside of our scope of practice, you know, kind of come in, you know, where you're dealing with emotions, you know, um, one thing Susan talks a lot about is that when you reduce food, you're changing your brain chemistry, Bet you didn't know that, Bet you never thought of that, right? All these diets that you've gone on, on a whim, right? Cause you saw it in a magazine or something of this nature. Well, do you think that that brain chemistry might have an effect on those emotions? Of course it does, right? This is, these are scientific facts. These are not just, you know, things that we're just kind of making up as we go, right? And the problem with like reading a diet in a magazine or just going low carb or, or, or well, this worked for me when I was 25 is that it's not taking into account the whole picture. And you have to take into account the whole picture. And part of that whole picture is your mental well-being along the way. And the thing that I can think of right now, because I have I can name I can name 10 people right off the top of my hands, you know, where they are women and men that are at weights that a lot of people would think these people are not physically active, they they don't pay attention to their diet. And they actually pay a lot of attention to their diet and they are physically active, right? And it's kind of hard to kind of deal with that stigma because, you know, let's be real here. A lot of people in that situation do feel judged, right? When they go out to eat, you know, they feel that people are looking at their food choices and things of that nature because those people are looking at their food choices in some instances. You have to sort of separate where you are now to where you're going to be eventually. And if there's insensitive people, I mean, look, let's be real. There's insensitive people in the world, right? Don't let insensitive people dictate who you are, right? What, what I want to do and in, in the change that I want to be, and I'm fairly certain this is the case for Susan, is that we want to get you to a place where the outcome is kind of nebulous, right? Like we don't say, you know, it'd be best for Becky. You know, Becky would be best at five, three. She's okay. Let's say 120, you know, that, that might be 
completely irrespective of your genetics. It might be irrespective of your goals. It might be irrespective of, of, you know, the amount of sacrifice that it would take for you to get there. Right. And in that sacrifice, you would be chasing misery, right? As coaches, what we need to understand is how can we get people to chase happiness, right? That, that's our biggest goal as, as coaches. One of the things that I absolutely love, every reform coach on this phone call right now will tell you the happiest day for all of our clients is the day when they're done with the fat loss cycle and their food comes back. I don't know of any other diet that really does it to the degree that we do it in that way, right? I am so proud of that. Every person on this call, I'm so proud of that for all of you that, I mean, what Susan, you might not realize is that every single person on this phone call did eat to perform, right? That's how they got here, you know? And, and I really think that um, that's what we are, are doing for the world, you know? And, and if you're listening to this and you're not a need to perform coach, but you want to be a better coach, stop falling for the, I want to lose 15 pounds in 30 days nonsense, right? Because it's actually working against the interests of the client in a lot of cases, um, you can certainly have goals. You can certainly have ideas, right? But there's a lot of times where people come in and they want to have a general idea and then everything changes to something completely different because they're exposed to this new way of doing things, right? And so I think that's it, but I will definitely let you have the last word of but but go ahead. I, there, I'm reading something that a coach is saying. Well, I was reading that too, and and the thing that that I the, the word that that pops out at me is how they feel, and um, the diet world tries to um, separate how we feel from what we're doing, because the diet world you know, the sort of big commercial weight loss diet world, uh, if we follow much of that advice, we feel like crap. And so the only way to feel better is to fail on the diet. And so people fail because they want to survive. It's their survival instincts that kick in. And and it's the right thing to do. They've done exactly the appropriate response and yet they beat themselves up as a failure. And so the, it's when people can say, can report very quickly, I feel so much better. So even in a fat loss phase, you can still feel good. Um, you can still at the end of the day have you know, emotional well-being you are in a little more restrictive phase. You should have adjusted your activity. There's things that you're doing um, to, to, to make all of the puzzle pieces link up and work together. And I know that that's what you do at Eat to Perform. And, and then of course, when, when they hit that goal and they get to move on to the next phase, it's a feeling of personal accomplishment. But every day, 
you should be able to end your day by saying, I feel good. And, and that is the disconnect from the rest of the weight loss world. Uh, and, and, and we're constantly being told to separate, you know, sort of our head from the rest of our body, right? You know, you're tired, drink more coffee or take a, you're, you're not feeling good, take a pill, whatever it is, it's always take a pill and, and, and ignore how you're feeling. Um, in, in this sense, the feeling so good when a client recognizes the intrinsic accomplishment, that the inside accomplishment, it now they have internal or intrinsic motivation. Their motivation is no longer coming from an external source. The scale is external. It's not nearly as good of a motivator as how I feel on the inside. Um, even moving your belt buckle is still something, or it may be a little better because that's actually your body. Looking in the mirror may be not quite as a motivator. And certainly what the world around you expects and tells you should be your motivation is fully external. And it's only when it's internal or intrinsic, how I feel that I have now connected what I do with how I feel and how I can think and how well I sleep. Those things are the most powerful motivators for continuing on um, with what you're doing. And even if you fall off the wagon to returning to what made you feel good and not looking elsewhere. So, so I, um, Carolyn, that was fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. And, and what, what, um, what Susan is saying is that the guilt that you feel when you fail at a diet, we actually build in the parts where you're not dieting for that reason, right? Is that the part where you thought you failed, you actually succeeded. You just weren't given the tools to do the next phase, which we teach you the next phase also, right? And I'm not saying to you that this is all easy because it's not, right? It's a major change for a lot of people to change the way that they think. Right. And if you're a coach listening to this and you're not a need to perform coach, you'll go, yeah, no way I'm doing that. Right. Because it's going to be a really difficult process. I think ultimately you're going to struggle getting to scale with that kind of business. Right. You have to have some level of flexibility. Your Weight Watchers and your Nooms and, and these types of people, they get to exist because they have a scale you know, in an enormity that you will never approach, right? And so, so what we're describing is being a long-term advocate for people succeeding their way through, you know, a diet intervention, right? Or a change in the way that they do things rather than failing their way so that the client has to keep cuddling up to the failed system that's built for them to, to not have success, right? Um, it's, it's kind of sad that the whole diet industry feels kind of trapped in this regard. It's a scientific fact 
everything that we're, we're saying, right? These are not unknown to these big companies, right? It's not unknown to even the person that, you know, is you're following on Instagram that's giving you really low macros, right? I mean, Eat to Perform has 1.5 million followers. We're well known within this industry, right? But it is a more difficult conversation to have with people, right? That at a point you have to be patient, at a point you have to stop dieting because there's a, there's a level of pain involved, right? There's, a, there's a, a mindset of if I can get to X weight, I'll be the whole me, right? And it's like, you can be the whole me now and then work towards a better version of that, right? And that, that's a, a little bit more of a difficult conversation that you really, you know, you can't have um, when you're not approaching things from a lifetime standpoint, right? If you're just approaching things from a 30-day challenge standpoint, like Susan was talking about, you know, then, then you're kind of missing the point, right? People don't need a tune-up, right? They don't need a car wash. They need a whole new car. They need a whole new way of thinking of everything, right? And if, uh, you know, if you want to explore that, you know, I would encourage you to, to do that. There's the, you know, I, I didn't create the foundation of what became Eat to Perform, right? I researched it. I hired PhDs, you know, you can read our book, you know, through macros.io. We have a calculator. In that calculator, I have a course that walks people through how we do it. Right. We're like the only place that, that doesn't hide our cards. We just tell you every single day what the cards are. Right. Because it's hard enough knowing what the cards are. Right. To accomplish things. So having like this hidden aspect and, and uh, there's a secret sauce or there's some magic that's going to make this happen. No, it's it's out there. We post about it all the time. We make videos about it. We, like I said, through macros.io, we now have a free resource that anyone can use. Go to macros.io, use our macro calculator, and then watch the course where I talk you how exactly how we do it, right? Um, I think one of the things that happens for a lot of people, if you're comfortable with macros, maybe you can figure it out. But most people listening to the, the to that course probably go, I'm gonna need help with this, right? And and that's what we do, right? We provide a low cost way of allowing you to understand how you work, right? And then allowing you to be whoever you want to be, right? Without judgment in that regard. I just feel like there's way too much, there's too much of a, you know, getting everybody abs and, and, and things of this nature. Now I understand, you know, the marketing side of any kind of fitness program means that you have to show people that went all the way. Like it frustrates me to no end. Like we have a picture up of a lady, you know, who's an older woman um, who made amazing progress. Right. But because she doesn't have eight pack abs, it doesn't matter. Right. And I mean, as much as that sucks, you know, we've done enough testing to know that 
you know, you have to put that out there. You have to make sure that all the progress of your company is represented, right? But people do respond to the people that went all the way more than the people that just got healthy and lived longer. And that's just reality. That's just the way the internet works. That's the way that people's brains work. Hopefully at some point we can all be a little bit more holistic in that regard. I do think it's important for me as a, as a company owner to make sure that all those people are represented. So if you go to our Instagram, you'll see a lot of different types of transformations represented rather than just the, hey, we got that person eight pack abs, right? All right. So I said I, I said I would give you the last word and I always do this where I take the last word, but um, I appreciate you doing this. Hopefully this helps coaches out there, but but clients, you know, I think I think if you're a client and you're looking for a home, um, I, I hope what you heard makes you understand the level of care that we have. Right. And that that we're trying to um, look at the bigger picture rather than just, you know, get you 15 pounds in 15 days, or, you know, all the extreme things that you hear. So I appreciate you being here, Susan. Have a happy new year for you as well. And uh, have a great weekend. Talk to you later.